Well, it's good to see everybody who's still here and any who may have joined us. Uh, we're going to read now in the book of the Revelation, and we're going to read in Revelation chapter 4. Now we've looked this afternoon a little bit and we're going to return to it a little bit uh, just to finish a couple of things off in the context of what we're looking at now. Uh, We looked at the idea of to be with him, the church removed. And now we're going to look at to behold his glory, the Lamb recognized. Remember we finished in John uh, with those wonderful words of the Lord Jesus, Father I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. And we also finished with those wondrous words about John. If it be that he remain until I come. If it be. Now let's read uh, John, uh, Revelation rather, chapter 4. And we're going to read some selected verses from chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 4. After this I looked. This is John speaking. Same writer as the gospel. Behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats or thrones. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Now we'll not read on through chapter 4 but you'll get a description of them. You'll get a description of four living creatures. Clearly angelic beings, the four living creatures. I personally believe so likewise are the four and twenty ancient ones. And a description of the sea of crystal and the wonder of this throne. And this awesome scene of this throne sitter. But when we come to chapter 5, I want us to focus not so much now on the throne and the power, but I want us to focus on a book, or or correctly, a scroll, uh, which we're going to call a plan. And verse verse 1 of chapter 5 says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book or a scroll written, within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders, that's one of the reasons why I think they're literally 24 I don't think this is a 24th of some representative I think this is one individual out of 24 one of the elders said unto me weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts or better living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain 
having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth but he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne and when he had taken the book the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of prayers full of odours which are the prayers of the saints now there follows three great doxologies and we're just going to break in and read one of them we're going to read the middle one in verse 11 and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders that's why I believe they're all angels all the people described there are ranks of angels and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing that's as far as we're going to read and we're sure that God will bless the reading of his precious word now we've been looking together uh, in the first session at what I believe is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus to take his people to be with himself and we pointed out at the end of that that uh, in, John 20, in John 17 the Lord Jesus prays and he wants us to behold his glory uh, and I would judge that when we come to this uh, passage in Revelation I personally believe that immediately after we're raptured I would suspect that this is the very first thing that we're going to observe uh, what happens after this in the book of the Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19 is really the opening of those seven seals that we've read about on this book or scroll and it outlines in detail this most horrendous period that our world is going to face roughly seven years, maybe a little longer but perhaps not very much and it is going to face this most horrendous judgment that's going to come upon it a judgment called in the Bible the tribulation or the great tribulation particularly the last half of it and it is going to be an outpouring of God's wrath upon this world without going into all the detail the at its simplest interpretation it's going to result in the wiping out of 50% of the population of the planet it's going to result in things that will make the events that we've witnessed in recent years seem almost insignificant the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the wars, the rumours of wars the, this is going to be a moment when evil is completely unfettered the people of God have been removed the spirit of God, you notice in our verses the spirit of God described as the seven spirits of God and then that's very significant, I think there's a reason for that I think what it's telling us of the complete removal of the Holy Spirit from earth and that is why Joel's prophecy will need to be fulfilled and God will once again need to pour out his spirit because this world is going to be in a stage where 2nd Thessalonians 2 I believe very simply outlines I know some see it in a very complicated and different way that at the moment there is a restraint in this earth there is a person and there is a object if you like the person is the Holy Spirit the object is the church 
and that restraint is here just now and despite I know that in the lifetimes of some of us I was telling somebody out there they were telling me they had the great privilege of going down to the Holy Land to Liverpool just a few weeks ago <laughs> and they were there at Heighton and I was saying well that's where I was brought up it's 50 years ago almost right now that uh, I was received into fellowship in that little assembly in Beverly Hall in Heighton and 50 years seems a long time doesn't it and I know what I've witnessed in my lifetime and the decline in that 50 I mean you just couldn't begin to imagine I remember hearing our brother Robert Reavy say that we've lived in a day when it started with subversion the truth was kind of undermined and then we went from subversion to perversion the truth was taken and twisted and perverted and he says we now live in a day of inversion where right is wrong and wrong is right and we've completely reversed the thing well I want to tell you no matter what we've seen in these 50 years it's nothing compared to what's coming when we're gone a descent into evil and awfulness that we couldn't even begin to as this man of sin appears and the world's desperate for him he's ready for him right now he's a man who's going to appear to solve the problems he's going to be a terrible liar but the world is showing at the moment that they love liars that's the kind of people they go out and vote for. It's the people they want to put in power. People who are incapable of telling the truth. Well, they're going to get the biggest deceiver that they've ever seen. He's even described that way. That's his main characteristic. And he's lawless. And he's godless. In fact, the only God he recognises ultimately is himself. And this event that we're looking at in Revelation 4 and 5 is immediately going to precede it. And this opening of the seals is, by the Lamb is going to pour forth all of this great beginning again of the program of God. But I want us to look at this little event and just see how it fits in. You notice the verses that we read, and there's three things we're going to look at, just to give you three little headings. We're going to speak about a power, the one who sits upon the throne. We're going to speak about a plan, the book that's in his hand. We're going to speak about a person, the Lamb, who comes and takes the scroll out of the hand. We're not going to go into all the imagery and typology. We don't have time for that. But we're just going to try and paint you, as best we can, a simple picture of this great inauguration. That's what I think it is. It's many years ago now, when we first went to Cross House, I listened to a man called Jim Dixon, and he described this scene as the dissolution of a heavenly parliament and a transition of power. And that's exactly what I think it is. I think he's got it exactly right. And we have been watching these kind of things in recent days. <laughs> We've been watching a transition of power in government from one Prime Minister to another. And we're about to watch a, a transition of constitutional power from one monarch to another. And eventually there will be a coronation. But I tell you, I don't care whether the queues are 14 hours or 24 hours of what they are. The numbers aren't going to compare to this. At one point in this, you know, we've read about 104 million angels, just for starters. 104 million, I don't know how long they think it would have taken them to get from Lambeth Park to Westminster, but there's 104 million of it this organisation. And when we come to this uh, lovely passage, what we've got before us is this transfer of power. But it starts in a wonderful way. Remember this man, John, this is the man of whom we've just been reading. The Lord Jesus says, if it be till he remains, well here's John, and he's on the island of Patmos, and he's an old man. And I would judge he's a very disappointed old man. He's a very disheartened old man. 
He's just a bit like you and I at this moment as we look round about us and in whatever direction he looks, there's bad news. As far as his nation's concerned, some 20 odd years earlier, after a year of political upheaval when Rome had four emperors in AD 69, in AD 70, one who would be an emperor came as a general. And he utterly destroyed the city of Jerusalem, fulfilled it exactly as the Lord Jesus had said. Not one brick left upon another, not stone of the temple. And cataclysmic events, and that man can look at his nation, and his nation's in ruin. I say sadly tonight, I almost feel, when Her Majesty passed away, the last little flicker of decency in our nation was extinguished. And I wondered if God in his mercy gave us 70 years of a woman of honour and integrity as almost his last word to what I believe is pretty close to being the most apostate nation on earth. If ever a country was bathed in the truth, it's this country. If ever a nation was blessed by God with men who gave us a Bible in our language, with laws that were based on scriptures, and we've taken it and we've thrown it underfoot. And I believe our nation tonight lies morally, absolutely bankrupt and in the gutter. Well, John looked nationally and things were grim. And he looked personally and things weren't much better. He's there for the testimony and for the faithfulness of his Christianity, but he's on a penal colony and he's an old man, and it's not a holiday island Patmos in those days. And even when he looks at conditions amongst God's people, he's just outlined to us seven companies, seven assemblies in a little corner of Turkey as we know it today and things are not good five of them get tremendous criticism from the Lord Jesus for their unfaithfulness one of them has got a little strength and is doing it best it can and one of them is suffering horrendous persecution Turkey today is pretty close to the least Christianized country on earth and it's the cradle of Christianity you go to your New Testament Ephesus, Colossae the churches of Galatia these seven churches they're all in Turkey and now there's virtually nothing and if that happened to that nation I tell you it can happen to our nation and so John looks and he's disappointed personally and he's disappointed nationally and he's disappointed ecclesiastically even as he looks at conditions amongst God's people and what's happening but he's been told at the beginning of this book this John is what you have to write about the things which you have seen the things which are now the things which you have seen the things which are now and the things that shall be hereafter and those seven churches are the description of the things which are now and that's conditions amongst God's people and as John looks at it all, and perhaps maybe like some saints tonight, with a sense of disappointment, all of a sudden then everything changes. Because all of a sudden he goes from what he has seen, and the things which are now, to the things that shall be hereafter. And look at how the verse starts, that's what it says. After this I looked, and behold, the door was open in heaven, the first voice, come up, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. This is the rolling out of the prophetic program. Now remember I said to you about that truth, the rapture, that it's not a prophetic truth, it's a truth that's kind of obscured and hidden in the Old Testament, but there are precedents and there are pictures. And even when we come to the New Testament, 
the first presentation of it really is as a picture and we looked at that picture in John's chapter 11 the raising of Lazarus from the dead remember when we read it we gave a little emphasis to you and we said remember he speaks about Lazarus sleepeth I go to wake him out of sleep they thought that he spoke of, uh, of taking rest in sleep then Jesus said to them plainly our friend Lazarus is dead remember that pattern well what we didn't go on and do which we should have done which we're going to touch on now and just fit it into the picture is when rather than in pictures and rather than in precedence the Holy Spirit takes up Paul the man who's given the particular role Colossians 1 to bring to us the completion of church truth to bring to us these great truths about the mystery of Christ and his bride these things that angels couldn't understand that haven't looked into and now wonder at well to Paul it is given to give us the doctrinal outline of this event and he does it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and I'm sure you're all aware of it and this is what he says well before he comes to the actual event he speaks about them that sleep he says I don't want you to be ignorant condemn them that sleep and if you read the passage you'll see an exact mirroring three times he describes them as being asleep that description is a description that is given particularly to the Christians of this present age regardless of the circumstances of their death the most beautiful picture of it although it's a horrific event is the stoning of Stephen there is this man battered and bruised and bloodied and dying the most awful violent death and the spirit of God says I'll tell you what happened to him he fell asleep he fell asleep it doesn't look like falling asleep does it but you see for Stephen it was only a transitory moment his body fell on sleep but he could see Christ waiting to receive him could see him standing there knew exactly where he was about to go one day soon that body is going to be wakened from sleep and so the Lord Jesus the, the Holy Spirit in First Thessalonians 4 says sleep, sleep, sleep and then it says this the dead in Christ shall rise first just exactly the same pattern that you'd have seen back in John 11 now I leave you as little homework to go and look at that for yourself but what happens in 1 Thessalonians 4 is a description and this is what it says is going to happen the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout just keep that there, stage 1 if you'll allow me to call it that I'm not too worried, there's a bible reading we now have 20 minutes debate as to whether they're three separate things or three aspects of the same thing and frankly I'm not sure I can really be bothered right. descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God so when you see the three things a shout, a voice of an archangel a trump of God and then there's a threefold response I think they match each other number one the dead in Christ shall rise first we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air stage 3 so shall we be forever with the Lord now in the same way that it's introduced by a picture in John 11 I think now the same writer of whom the Lord Jesus said if it be that he remain until I come again he's now giving us another picture of it you see it's not a prophetic event so it's not in the book of the revelation as a doctrinal truth but I think there's a picture and I think the picture's right here you see that picture in John 11 you only got the shout that's all that happened in John 11 
Lazarus come forth and the dead in Christ shall rise first and Lazarus was raised but he wasn't caught up in the air or anything like that you see that was just the beginning of the picture what he did do though he came to a supper that we mentioned in chapter 12 supper that I believe the home of Martha and the home of Simon the leopard is one and the same home in my view and it's the same incident and it's the same place as the home in Bethany and it's very interesting that between the Lord Jesus coming to raise them that sleep and the Lord Jesus coming to rule in Jerusalem there's a supper takes place and at that supper there are folks like Lazarus who have died and been raised and there are folks like Simon the leper who never died but he had to be transformed he's no longer a leper you see we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed says Paul elsewhere in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and there in fellowship with the Lord Jesus are those that have slept and those that have been changed well they've all been changed but some have slept and some haven't and the picture is there I believe in those two men that are there at that event and if I've not given you a good explanation of it you ask Phil Coulson and he'll give you a better one because it's him I heard say it in the first place and so you've got this picture now this is a different picture this is a picture I think that only includes now with John the third stage what is he here? I heard as it were the voice of a trumpet speaking with me saying come up hither so shall we be forever with the Lord so the pictures are just building it up for us but when the actual event takes place the whole thing will be like this just like a Lazarus heard the shout there'll be a shout from my back garden I can see the graveyard there in Comores there's more of the saints from Cross House in that graveyard now than there are gathered on the Lord's morning and when that shout comes scores of them are coming out of that graveyard in Cross House in Comores scores of them are coming forth when they hear the shout the dead in Christ will rise first and if we're still living there just up the road where we can actually see them from we'll hear the archangelic voice what's that about now put away your Christmas cards I'm not telling you to abandon Christmas cards by the way just to but don't get your theology from them right? and the archangels are not all over the bible in fact the archangels hardly mentioned in the bible but whenever he is mentioned here's the context spiritual warfare in heavenly places there's no question about that look at what he does he contends for the body of Moses that battle that goes on in the book of Daniel see they gives an inkling to what we've got in our passage angelic beings have a role in the administration of this world it's a mysterious role, a bit beyond us but the book of Daniel makes it clear your prince Michael, the prince of the Medes and Persians, there's spiritual warfare in heavenly places, there are thrones and dominions and principalities and powers there is a spiritual, the New Testament teaches it clearly we can't really understand it but here's the strange thing when I meet my saviour I'm going to meet him in Satan's realm you got that? He's the prince of the power of the air. Where are we meeting the Lord Jesus? We'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. You see, one day he stood with those disciples 
and he was surrounded by all the false gods and all the false cults of the day I, I've stood at the spot I believe it's up there at Caesarea Philippi and it's on the lower slopes of Hermon and in the background they would have seen the snow and the mountain and he stood there in the midst of all that idolatry and man's filth he said this Peter made a great pronouncement as to who he was and he says upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her and the archangelic voice will just declare the reality of what happened 2000 years ago when the wicked one was judged and defeated and as our saviour ascended right through the sky and through his very early heavens to go back to his father and made a show openly and demonstrated his victory he'll snatch us up and we'll meet him in the very air in the sphere of Satan's domain but then we'll also hear the trump of God and so shall we be forever with the Lord and so when we come to this picture in, in Revelation chapter 4 I think we're only seeing the last bit of that now John doesn't hear the shout he's not dead, he didn't need to rise and he wasn't caught up in the air here either this is a spiritual experience for him remember that, that's why in a moment we're going to see he weeps there'll be no weeping in heaven but remember John's only there in spirit at this stage but I do think he's a picture he's a picture of you and I and he's heard in the midst of all this disappointment he hears the trump of God and he says what happens he says what happens with this immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven all sorts of things are going to happen in our nation in the coming months and maybe longer and there's going to be thrones set and there's going to be transfers of power and humanly speaking certainly in recent history uh, we're going to see probably uh, the greatest monarchy the world has seen for a very long time if you think of what the British Empire etc. once was we are very grateful and thankful to have had a monarch who I have absolutely no doubt is aware and was aware that there's a throne set in heaven and there's one who sits upon the throne who's far higher and mightier than she could ever be isn't it interesting that it's the greatest of kings it's the Davids of this world who speak about El Elyon more than anybody else in the Bible El Elyon is the name of the most high God and the greatest of earth's kings and Nebuchadnezzar has to be reminded by being put into the dirt that the most high ruleth in the affairs of men my friend, I tell you today, the powers of this world are going to be put into the dirt to make them realise that the Most High ruleth in the affairs of men. And amidst all the chaos and all that's round about us today, I want you to rest assured of this. There's a throne set in heaven, and there's one sitting on the throne. And he's almighty, and he's beyond them and transcends them. And as we'll see later today, he can extinguish them just like that whenever he feels like it. Don't, don't, don't read these silly modern books you know as though there's some huge turning and throwing going forth there's good and evil struggle against each other etc the great battle took place at Calvary 2000 years ago was settled there the wicked woman was defeated Christ made a show of an opening and ascended to heaven you and I will do the same because of him so says John here I am and here's this scene and I'm not going to go into the detail of the scene but, but look primarily in this book the church is a young woman not 24 old men ok she's a bride now God is really mixing his metaphors 
is if many of believe that these four and twenty elders are a picture of the church why would he start looking at them as twenty four old men when actually we get throughout the book the church is very clearly presented as a bride, a young woman not twenty four old men so I think what you've got here and nobody seems to have any debate that the four living creatures they're a bit like the boys from Ezekiel's day and they are those uh, angelic beings in a particularly exalted position some form of seraphim perhaps uh, and they've got this great uh, custodianship of some of the, the great wonders of deity and they're, they're in this very you, you read the detail of it and they're, they're called four living creatures not beasts, that's not a good word really uh, in this book there's another the word for the beast is a very different word and we'll also read that associated with them there's this 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands and in between the two seems to be this rank of these 24 and again you know the Lord is going to have many diadems he does not need us to throw our crowns at his feet etc he's not giving us them to throw them back at his feet right? it's just hymnology I know it's a lovely thought and a lovely idea but I just don't think it bears any scrutiny in scripture at all he has many diadems and he will award to his people different, for different things Stephanos uh, and that's not what's here this is those who have had a role over the ages ancient ones, elders there's 24 of them for whatever reason it might be to do with the course of the priesthood etc it might be to do with the fact that uh, 12 to do with Israel 12 to do with the church, whoever but nevertheless there's these ancient ones and there's these four living creatures and there's this awesome scene of God's holiness and this sea of crystal and that rainbow that's set and we don't go into the detail but there it all is and as John is caught up and he's transfixed by all of this he looks at it and he says there was one who sat upon the throne but when we come to the beginning of chapter 5 he says but wait a minute he says there's something in his hand and it's still John's eyes are just driven to it see I think John is the one who's representative of the church here he's just been caught up after all if it be that he remain and there he is and I think this is a little picture of what you and I are going to witness we're going to look at this amazing scene and we're going to see this throne and we're going to see all this crystal round and the awesomeness of the holiness of our God I, you know I love that hymn not many people like it I go give out occasionally and, uh, but I love that hymn eternal light eternal light you know and I very, maybe once a year I give out on a Sunday morning just to indulge myself and uh, you know I just think the words are so magnificent and I, I can't help think of this scene how can it be that sinful men could ever appear there because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's why. In fact, that's the beginning of the book of Told. It's told us that. He's cleansed us. He's made us a kingdom of priests. Them. The elders are not singing about themselves. They're singing about us. A different company altogether. And he says, I saw this book. I saw this scroll. What is it? You need to go back to the law of first mentioning. You go back to the book of, uh, of uh, Jeremiah. And there in the, the early chapter 30s of the book of Jeremiah, it's this amazing scene. Here is this great human potentate, Nebuchadnezzar, coming. And he's coming. And he isn't very much interested in the rights and wrongs of anything. Uh, and, and along comes Je- Jeremiah's relative, probably a fairly kind of shrewd kind of a boy, and says, I've got a bit of field here. Do you fancy buying it? 
Hang Jeremiah could have looked at this humanly speaking and say it's not just exactly the right time to buy some real estate. I'm not quite sure that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be interested in who's got the title deed. God says to him, Jeremiah, you buy it. Now look, when we come later on to talk about the millennial kingdom, I do not believe Jeremiah was being conned. He'll inherit it. I absolutely believe that. A sovereign God. It's amazing that my dearly beloved reformed brethren who are so uh, strong in their emphasis on God's sovereignty for some reason seem to be able to sweep it away when it comes to the nation of Israel. The promises of God are yea and amen. When Jeremiah was told you'll get the land, he'll get it. And when Abraham was told you'll get the land, he'll get it. And when David was told you'll get the throne, he'll get it. We'll look at that later. But Jeremiah is told, you get a piece of land, Jeremiah, and this is what to do. Get yourself two scrolls. He says, and write with urn on the backside. Seal them. He says, keep one of them open. Put one of them in an earthen pot and bury it. There's an open scroll and there's a closed scroll. I think we're sitting holding the open scroll. You read from chapter 6 through to chapter 19, it tells you then exactly what's happening. But in the right hand of him that sits upon the throne, there's a closed scroll. A closed scroll. It's just like Jeremiah's day. I think it's a set of title deeds. It's the title deeds to the universe. They're sitting there. And the one who sits upon the throne says, Who's worthy to come forth and to take the book and to loose the seals? That are... Who can put the plan back into place? Who can continue the prophetic program? Who can come forward to me in the midst of all of these great beings, these four living creatures, these four and twenty elders, these ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, in the midst of the transparency of this sea of glass, in the midst of the awesomeness of this scene of this heavenly parliament, who can come forth and take the title deeds and move things forward and they make a search they search the obvious place first heaven they search earth they search under the earth John says they couldn't never mind find somebody to come and take it they couldn't even find anybody who could look at it it's not a close run thing our Savior is incompatible there's nobody even close nobody else can even look at the thing and John says, he's been in anticipation. All that disappointment behind him, now he's got tremendous anticipation. He says, I wept because no one was found. And he says, one of the elders. That's why I think that individuals, wherever possible, just interpret the word of God literally. That's what we're going to say later, so we'll just repeat it now. He says, one of the elders said to me, don't weep. He says, behold, he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah... You know, back in the first chapter, there was a description given of the one who looks upon the film. We, we, we passed that Bible. I'm going to just touch on it now for a minute. He says he was to look upon as a jasper and a sardine star. Now, good brethren told us when we were young, when you find these strange typology in, in Scripture, the best thing to do is to go back to the law of first mention. We've just done that, haven't we, with the scroll. We've gone back to Jeremiah and seen and it's given us a, a little key to what it means now well you go back to the jasper and the starden stone and you'll find that they are the stones that were on the breast the first and the last or the last and the first of the twelve stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest a representative of the tribes of Israel if they're there on the birth of the tribes 
which I'm not sure that they are but we'll come to in a moment the first who was born was Reuben the last who was born was Benjamin and those stones if that was the case would be representative of them you'll notice Reuben and Benjamin both have the same syllable in the name Ben now I know in Scotland Ben can mean a mountain and uh, I know in central Scotland where my grandpa came from and he used to say to me as a wee boy when I went in he says uh, uh, you'll get some sweeties Ben the room I had no idea what Ben the room meant but that was a kind of colloquial thing for through the room but in Hebrew Ben means son Reuben behold the son Benjamin the son of my right hand Benjamin and so interestingly if you want to look at it that way the one who sits upon the throne is to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone behold the son the son of my right hand the one who sits where is he sat right now at the right hand of the majesty on high that's what the scripture says but the Bible can present to us more than one picture in these things. And this elder, this one of the 24 who turns to John says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one from whom David came. Now, you know, it's very similar words to the words of the Lord Jesus came. This is the one who's come through Judah, but he also precedes the greatest of the kings of Judah so he's after the man before him there's only one person this can be isn't there the Lord Jesus said that to the people of his day and they were all confused because they just they couldn't fathom it because they didn't understand but God has revealed these things to you and I to babes isn't that wonderful that we're party to these things he says behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David he has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof and John turns around to have a look he doesn't see a lion at all there's no lion there do you know what he sees? Technically, it's the word for a little lamb. A little lamb. And he says, It's got the marks. It's got the marks. As though it's just been slain. I didn't see a lion. I didn't see the roots of David. What I saw when I turned around was a little lamb. And it's marked and it's scarred and it's got the evidence. And it looks as though it's just been slain. And notice what the angel said. Well, there you go, telling you what I believe again. <laughs> notice what the elder says unto him. And not be so presumptuous. He says he's prevailed to open the book. You know, those tribes might be in a different way on the breastplate of the high priest. It says, according to their tribes. I tend to feel the word in the Hebrew word for both rows and columns is the same thing and I think that on the high priest now this is just a little bit of conjecture but bear with me that the breastplate I suspect that they are there in the order in which they camped around the tabernacle and that would seem very appropriate according to their tribes it doesn't say according to their birth and if that is the case the first and the last are different from Reuben and Benjamin the first and the last now are Judah well that fits in doesn't it because of what we've got here the line of the tribe of Judah the root of David but who's the last if you look at how they were well, that's a question that maybe not everybody can answer but it's a very strange little tribe this one it's the tribe of Naphtali pretty insignificant in the pages of scripture in many ways but I tell you this 
it's another one whose mother had a lot to do or at least uh, Leah had a lot to do with how he was named it's a child of one of the concubines and his name means wrestling and she says I'm going to call him Naphtali because I have prevailed look at the beauty and the accuracy of our scriptures here's this day I don't think she would have had the slightest clue when she was naming those children how the spirit of God was moving but now John turns round and he looks and he beholds and what does he see a little lamb and he's got the marks of what he's prevailed to open the book you see there's two reasons why this one can take the title deeds to the universe one he's got the absolute sovereign right as the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David God has predicted and has shown it all the way through scripture and when women like Esther and Ruth came along and in the purpose of God everything seemed to be going the wrong way God moved it all to make sure that everything kept going through the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David but that's not enough no no this universe this world you and I the fall had a terrible impact and the price needed to be paid and someone had to prevail when Herod wanted to take them and slaughter the children he prevailed and the people of the village he was brought up in would have taken him to the top of the hill and thrown him off he walked through their midst and he prevailed when they wanted to stone him he prevailed when they put him through the mock trials and tried to stone him he prevailed when they took him before Pilate and the hordes of Rome and the powers of this world he still prevailed and even when they finally took him and put him on a cross he cried from that cross it's finished and he prevailed and he's got the absolute sovereign right to the entire universe it's all his before the end of the day you could watch him taking it I tell you this, if we're not going to do it if we are as many of my dear brothers and sisters believe, we're going to go through the tribulation <coughs> then we're going to miss this scene tribulation follows right on from this, from chapter 6 to chapter 19, we'll not be here we'll have heard the voice of the trumpet saying come up here, we'll have gone we'll be in heaven enjoying the day of Jesus Christ while this world experienced the day of the Lord the awful judgments will be poured forth but if we're going to go through the tribulation we're not going to observe these events that we're talking about just now but I believe these events are just an absolute fulfilment of what the Lord Jesus prayed in John 17 Father I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory do you not think he wants us to be sitting there as his bride watching when he takes the title deeds to the universe from the hand of the one who sits upon the throne do you not think he wants us to be there? Well, of course he does. And we're going to be. And we're going to join in with those three doxologies. I'm just going to close very briefly. We only read one of them, thankfully, and we're only going to refer to that one of them. New Testament begins with Matthew's Gospel. Finishes with the book of the Revelation. I couldn't help but read this doxology. Seven great things that this one who's promised just talking today to somebody about being at Port Tessie and I see Sandy and Nancy here and uh, when I was at Port Tessie and stayed with them it was with our brother Jim Flanagan 
And I always think of my dear brother Jim Flanagan when I think of these verses. 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It was our dear brother Mr. Flanagan who said that's at least 104 million. That's the minimum. Can't be any less than 104 million. 10,000 times 10,000. Thousands of thousands. Go home tonight and write all the zeros down. You'll find out he's exactly right. Although I think there's at least 104 million and 28 because of the 24 and the 4. But anyway. <laughs> In this great throng, they make this proclamation. Bible starts, New Testament starts with Matthew, finishes with the Revelation. Look at this. Power! Matthew 20 says they led him away to be crucified. <laughs> now the myriads of heaven proclaim his power. The title deeds to riches! Oh, we're, we're looking at, you know, different sets of crown jewels and whatever, sitting on top of coffins and whatever. I tell you this, they're incomparable to the riches of this one. But what does Matthew say about him? Matthew 8 verse 20, he had nowhere to lay his head. He walked this scene. The master of the universe. Nowhere to lay his head. Wisdom! Matthew 12, they said he's got a devil and he's mad now the hordes of heaven say he's got all wisdom all strength Matthew 21 we've referred to it in John's account what does it come? thy king cometh meek and lowly and sitting upon an ass the colt the foal of an ass but not now he's coming in might he's coming in glory honour Matthew 27 they reviled him glory they gave him a crown all right they gave him a crown of thorns they cast lots for his vesture they plucked the hairs from off his face and they spat in his face you know what the scripture says now his raiment will be as the light his face will be as the sun and on his head there will be many diadems not a crown of thorns the master of the universe will take the title deeds and they not only have glory but it will finish by saying blessing blessing Scripture says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. You know, this book of the Revelation says quite a lot about a tree. The tree of life. And I remember looking up and studying the words in our New Testament for trees. It's very interesting, there's two predominant words. One is the living organism. So when you read about a vine tree, a fig tree, a sycamore tree, it's the word for a living, growing organism. It's in the ground and planted in there. It's got life. But there's another word, and it's the word that's often used of the cross. Bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Uh, he took our offences. They were nailed to the cross. Uh, Paul speaks about the cross of Christ. The Lord Jesus used the word, and he says, if these things be done in a green tree, you see, it's been cut off, it's the stump. It's the word that's used for the cross. It's the word that's used for the tree he was crucified on. You come to the book of the Revelation, there's a tree. It's mentioned many times, it's the tree of life. But it's obvious, isn't it? It must be the word for the living organism. No, it's not. The word that's used for the tree of life in Revelation is the word for the stump, for the cut-off tree. The same word that's used for the cross. The same word that's used for the tree that he died upon. It's to remind us, isn't it? The Bible starts with a tree in a garden finishes with a tree in a garden and in order to get us from one to the other having been banished to the first in order to get us into the second 
a man had to die on a tree outside a city wall and he gave his all and he was reviled and he was spat upon and he was belittled but now he's going to take the, te- the keys to the universe he's going to take the, the scroll out of the hand of the one that sits upon him and the myriads of heaven along with us are going to proclaim he's worthy of power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing you could be taken away from the disappointments of this world before the end of the day and you could be watching that scene in heaven Father I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory I trust that God may bless his word we'll continue later and we'll look a little later on about the creation restored and we'll say something about how the Lord Jesus is the answer to all the problems that our world faces today if only men would realise it and you and I have got the answer and we need to take that message out I trust that God may bless his word so we pray Our Father, again, we bow in thy holy presence. In the precious name of our beloved Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, our Father, we thank thee for the words of a hymn writer. The, word, the Lord is now rejected and by the few enthroned. But the crowning day is coming, by and by. Father, we thank thee in thy goodness and thy mercy. Thou hast saved us. And we're part of that little company that acknowledge that he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank thee one day we will witness the whole creation. We will witness every knee and every tongue. And we'll hear that great confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Our God, we thank thee that we belong to him. We thank thee we're found with thy people today. We thank thee for the blessedness of being a child of God. Father, preserve us from ever taking it for granted. Our God, bless this company today. We think of these young lives before us. We do just pray, Father, for the potential here and pray, Father, that will bless them and build them up in their faith and give them a realisation that this little life is just transitory. Only one life will soon be passed. Could be passed today. The Saviour could come to take us, to be with him and to be like him and to see him as he is and to behold his glory. We thank thee for our time together. We pray for thy blessing on the refreshments provided now and our fellowship together. We ask it might be profitable for the upbuilding of thy people, for the glory of thy Son. If we look at thy word again later on, we trust that thou will help us. We ask these things, returning thanks now, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And once again, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening.